Well, if you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Judges, Judges chapter 16, and we're going to start at verse 17. We're going to do a little review from last week, and uh, in the book of Judges, I've called our series Longing for the Leader. Uh, We've really been longing for a good leader. We haven't seen very many good leaders. In fact, we're with Samson right now, and would you say Samson is a good leader or a bad leader? This is not a trick question. (laughs) He's not a very good leader. In fact, if I said there's somebody from history whom I would compare to Samson in his leadership, what would you think of that person? Well, I found somebody from history, not a perfect parallel, of course, but Alfred Vanderbilt was born in 1877 to the wealthy Vanderbilt family. You've heard of them before? His family was worth more than $300 billion at the time. And he had a big calling just like Samson, although his calling wasn't to deliver Israel. It was to inherit the family business and keep it going. But just like Samson, Alfred Vanderbilt was known for his partying and womanizing ways. Yet he was very talented and a very capable investor. According to history, Alfred Vanderbilt set off on a business trip from New York to Great Britain in May of 1915 aboard a very famous ship. Can you guess what ship that is? It's not the Titanic, good guess. That was a few years earlier. This is the Lusitania, yeah. Even though the waters of the Atlantic were teeming with German U-boats, most passengers assumed that the Lusitania, because it was a non-military vessel, would be allowed to go through. However, their assumptions were wrong. On the morning of May the 7th, the Lusitania was attacked off the coast of Ireland. It soon became clear that it was going down. And Alfred Vanderbilt was on board. He was a first-class passenger, and he was given given a life jacket because he was a first-class passenger, so he could save himself. But to many people's surprise, he actually gave it away. Then as the ship started to sink, this same guy, Alfred Vanderbilt, concerned himself with making sure as many children as possible got into the lifeboats. Given his status and given what had happened on the Titanic, he could have easily saved himself on a lifeboat or with a life jacket. However, he was still trying to save others when the boat went under the waves and Vanderbilt's body was never found. A reporter in the New York Times noted that he displayed gallantry which no words of mine can describe. Now, what do you think of this Alfred Vanderbilt, Samson-like character? A little bit different, right? Based on how his life ended, he left a different legacy. Well, we're going to look at Samson again, not just his life now, but also his death, and see if Samson also can rewrite his legacy a little bit as well. So I'm going to start at verse 17. This is by way of review where he is interacting with Delilah, whom he loves, and Delilah is trying to get at the source of Samson's strength. So let me start back here at verse 17. That'll lead into our passage. It says in verse 17 that he, Samson, told her, Delilah, everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as any other man. Verse 18 When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more, he has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. After putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him and his strength left him. Then she called Samson, the Philistines are upon you. 
He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistine seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding grain in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. That's where you cue the music, right? Dun, dun, dun. Here's a good summary. I found this scholar. He, he kind of wrote about Samson right now before I read the next part. It says, the ironies in Samson's life come to full fruition here. Overnight, this man is transformed from one whose life is governed by sight and whose actions are determined by what is right in his own eyes into a blind man with eyes gouged out. Overnight, a life of coming and going as he pleases turns into a life of bondage and imprisonment. Overnight, the person who had spent his life insulting and humiliating others becomes the object of their humiliation. And overnight, a man with the highest conceivable calling, the divinely commissioned agent of deliverance for Israel, that's Samson, is cast down to the lowest position imaginable, grinding flour for others in prison. Samson's son has set, or has it. Let's keep reading. Go ahead and stand with me now for the rest of this passage. We're going to read verse 23 to the end. <coughs> it says this, Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to celebrate, saying, Our god has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their god, saying, Our god has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. While they were in high spirits, some translations even say while they were drunk, they shouted, bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. When they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there. And on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all of his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. Then his brothers and his father's whole family went down to get him. They brought him back and buried him between Zorah and Eshtiol in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had led Israel 20 years. And you may be seated. We're going to look at this text today from the perspective of leadership. We're talking about longing for a leader in the book of Judges. And while I have not talked about leadership a lot, I think this is a good moment at this point as Samson's life is ending to think about leadership. And I want to focus on five facts, five facts about leadership. I know that's more than the standard three, but we'll keep it moving. Five facts about leadership. So number one, the first fact is that leaders have powerful influence for good or bad. Leaders have powerful influence for good or for bad. Now, how many of you knew this already? 
We see this all through the book of Judges. It's been a while since we've had a good leader, but we actually had some good ones at the beginning of Judges. We had Othniel in chapter three. We had Deborah in chapters four and five, and she's probably the best leader in Judges. We even had Gideon for a brief moment at the beginning of his life. He was doing some good things for the Lord. But then we've also seen a lot of bad leaders, haven't we? We saw Gideon by the end of his life, he is leading them astray into idolatry. We saw that his son Abimelech in chapter nine, he kills 69 of his half brothers to take the throne. We saw Jephthah, remember what he did? He sacrificed his his daughter as a burnt offering to the Lord, which the Lord did not want, yet he thought he had to do. And then the lowest of the low points really is Samson's leadership because he's been called by God. He's been set apart by God to lead, and yet, all through his life, he is not leading for good. He's leading for himself. He's leading to find a woman. I mean, he is all about himself and not God. Even the Philistines here in verses 23 and 24, look at what it says and how they're leading their people. In verse 23, it says, the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God. And they're celebrating, saying, our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. So that's the rulers. But then in verse 24, it's not just the rulers doing it now. They are leading the people astray when it says that when the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, our God has delivered our enemy into our hands. The one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. So as we apply this to our life today, it's worth remembering, even if you don't think you're much of a leader, most of us here today are a leader in some capacity, You may be a spouse who's a leader, a parent, a teacher or a coach, a boss and in charge of people or a manager. You may just have influence and not even realize it. You may be a youth group leader, but did you realize that your leadership has incredible power for good or for bad? In fact, when's the last time you stopped and thought, what kind of influence, what kind of legacy am I leaving in my leadership? The first fact remains that our leadership has power for good or for bad. Let's go to the second fact. A second fact of leadership is our motivation and our character matter. Say that with me. Our motivation and character matter. Or another way to say it is the heart of the matter in leadership is that the heart matters. The very center of our being, our character, what we are inside is what influences everything else about the way we live and about the way we lead. Certainly, we have seen Samson's heart come out big time in these few chapters. He's all about himself. He's all about adventure. He's all about Delilah and the love of a woman. But let's look at Samson's death. What was motivating Samson in his death? Did you catch it? Was Samson motivated by something good in his death or by something bad? And let's take a vote. How many say he was motivated by good motivations in his death? How many say they were bad motivations? And how many didn't vote? (laughs) How many don't like it when I do votes still? (laughs) Well, certainly his motivations at best are mixed. Because if you look at verse 28... Let's just examine this prayer in more detail. It says, then Samson prayed to the Lord. So this is why he's getting ready to push the pillars down. He says, sovereign Lord. So how's he doing so far? Good. He's starting to recognize finally that God is sovereign. He's in control. He's the king. And then he says, remember me. So how's he doing? Okay, good. I mean, he's not saying that God forgot him. He's just saying, God, 
intervene. And then he says, please, God, strengthen me just once more. So how's he doing? So far, so good. And then he says this, and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for what? For my two eyes. Now how's he doing? (laughs) Not as good. In fact, if you look at that prayer, at all the first person, personal pronouns. Go back to English class. Look at this. Remember me. Strengthen me. Let me, with one blow, get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. How many times does he refer to himself? At least four times. And then if you go to verse 30 on the next slide, at the very end of his prayer, he says, let me die with the Philistines. And so there's something really tragic about Samson's death. The man who was set apart by God to lead is now being buried with his enemies. The man who had been ruled by his two eyes his whole life, even when they're gouged out, he's still being ruled by his two gouged out eyes. So even though there's something really sad about his leadership in his heart right now, we at least see some glimpse of hope in Samson. Because at some level, even if it's small, he is starting to get it. Because he recognizes that God is sovereign, He recognizes that God's in control. He recognizes that only God has strength. He is starting to get it at some level. So the fact of the matter is, in our leadership and in our lives, the heart matters. Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. I would add, out of the overflow of the heart, you lead, you live, you speak, you do. Out of the overflow of our hearts, we lead our families and our marriages and our classrooms and our teams and our workplaces. So it's worth asking the question, what's in your heart? What are you leading out of? What are you motivated by? I mean, we know what Samson was motivated by, but if we were watching your life, what would we say about you? The heart matters because what's in the heart will come out. In fact, Samson becomes this picture that if you do what is right in your eyes, if in your heart you are number one, it's going to lead to blindness and bondage and oppression. It's going to lead to slavery. I mean, we often think if I could just be in control, if I could do whatever I want, that's freedom. But Samson is a picture of that's not freedom. You do whatever you want. It leads to bondage. Let's go to fact number three. I mentioned two so far. Number three, God wants to use leaders who are humble and dependent on him. Let's read that together. God wants to use leaders who are humble and dependent on him. You know, as we've looked at Samson's life, God has empowered him to do some pretty mighty things. Remember what animal he killed with his bare hands? What was it? A lion. Remember how many people he killed with a jawbone of a donkey? How many Philistines? He killed 1,000 Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. That's impressive. And yet Samson, who is this incredibly macho man, kind of man's man, is incredibly weak. When it comes to himself and getting revenge, he has to get revenge. When it comes to women, he's incredibly weak. He has to have the love of Delilah, which led to his downfall. It's only by the end of his life that he is finally starting to be humbled when his head is shaved and his eyes are gouged out and he's in prison grinding grain, he is finally starting to realize that true strength comes not from himself, but from the Lord. 
By the way, his strength does not come from his hair. I mentioned this last week. We often used to think, kind of growing up, I thought, you know, they shaved his head. Well, maybe his hair was just magical. Well, I don't think so because that special vow that he was under, that Nazarite vow, required three things. You couldn't touch a dead body, which Samson did numerous times, and he never went through purification to become clean. You couldn't drink alcohol as a Nazarite, which we think he did several times. And then the third one was you couldn't have any razor touch your head, your hair. And so finally, you know, Samson had broken the first two numerous times. So when he finally breaks that third one, it's like God says, okay, you've transgressed me enough, Samson, and I'm going to leave you. So Samson is finally starting to realize that in his weakness, God is strong. God is sovereign. In fact, if you read the book of Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews 11 is that famous hall of faith passage. Samson is actually mentioned in there as an example. And it says about him that his weakness was turned to strength. So even though his motivations are mixed at best, he's still mentioned there as somebody who showed some faith in the Lord's strength. But he only recognizes this when he's humble. Now, before we criticize Samson too much, as you think about your life and my life, when do we actually realize that God is powerful and strong and mighty? Is it when life is going well that we realize this? Well, maybe. But more often than not, doesn't it take suffering and a humbling in our life for us to realize that God is mighty and powerful and in control? Doesn't it take a Samson-like humiliation in our life to make us cry out to God and realize, you know what, Lord, we do need you. You are all we need. Even though Samson's example is a little bit extreme, we are just like Samson. We often need to be humble before the Lord can really use us and show us his strength. In fact, the Apostle Paul said it like this in 2 Corinthians 12. This is this famous uh, thorn in the flesh passage where Paul says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take that thorn in the flesh away from me. But he, the Lord, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. And let's read this part together. For when I am weak, then I am strong. How many of you like difficulties in your life? How many of you like being insulted? We don't even like it when somebody ignores us. How many like persecutions and difficulties and hardships and weaknesses? Well, Paul says, I have learned to delight in these things as a Christian because when I am weak, that's when I realize Christ's strength. I mean, if you're a leader here today, even just a follower of Jesus, even if you don't consider yourself a leader, did you realize that if you're going through a difficult time today, this could be an incredible opportunity? an opportunity for you and I to depend on the Lord, to realize his strength, to realize his grace is sufficient for us no matter what we're going through. You know, it's amazing as you study most leaders in the Bible and even in history, any leader that's been used mightily of God, most of them, if not all, have been mightily humbled at some point in their life. Most of them had a pretty low point that made them realize they need the Lord and that's enough. He's more than enough. So if you're going through a hard time this morning, instead of just kicking and screaming and crying, yes, we can cry out to God, but could this be an opportunity for you to grow in your humility and dependence and thus your leadership? Because the best leaders 
have been humbled. The best leaders are weak and dependent on the Lord. Let's go to fact number four. These last two will be related. Fact number four. True leaders recognize that leadership is all about God receiving the glory. True leaders recognize that leadership is all about God receiving the glory. Not us getting the glory, but God. In fact, I was kind of tweaking this statement a little bit. If you put this from God's perspective, this is kind of a man's perspective that we need to give God the glory. Well, God is so powerful that he will get the glory either through us or in spite of us. God's going to get the glory either way, either through us and our cooperation, or he's going to get it in spite of us. Think about Samson. While Samson and his death get the focus in this chapter, the real competition, even the real focus is not even Samson. The real competition is this, is Dagon, the Philistine God, is he God? Or is the God of the Bible, Yahweh God? And what's the answer by the end? There's no comparison. It's our God. He crushes Dagon. In fact, Samson's like a secondary character in all of this. Yes, God wanted him to submit himself to God, but, but you know what? God wasn't worried. Even though Samson was so disobedient, it wasn't like God was up in his throne and saying, you know what? What am I going to do? How am I going to get the glory in this situation? God was still fully in control, even though Samson was making horrible decision after horrible decision, and God still got the glory and still got the victory through one man who was humbled and weakened and had his eyes gouged out. Scholar Edmund Clowney says it like this, God has shown that he can deliver Israel with an army of willing volunteers. He's also shown that he can save with as few as 300 with Gideon. But with Samson, he has shown that the Lord can save and he only needs one. Even someone who's not even fully submitting to him, God can still save through him. That's how powerful God is. Now, God would much rather work through us and not in spite of us. So the question for you this morning as we think about our heart, it's really a gut check too. When you lead, why are you leading? Is it about God and his glory? Or is it, if you're honest, about yourself or about something else? When you're leading, are you, are you concerned that God is going to get the glory? Because one of the, one of the things about this passage is a warning that if you do not allow God to work through you, he's still going to work, but he'll work in spite of you. And he'll still get the glory. Let's go to fact number five, and this will take us into our time of communion. True leaders will always point to the best leader, and that's Jesus Christ. Let's read that together. True leaders will always point to the best leader, Jesus Christ. So Samson reminds us that God can work through somebody that's disobedient, somebody who's all about himself and women, and God still gets the glory, but how much more when God works through a leader who is fully obedient will God get the glory? As we start to transition to communion, many people have noticed that there's a lot of comparisons between Jesus and Samson's death. That may sound kind of weird because when we were reading about Samson, how many of you thought about, oh, this is kind of like Jesus' death? No way, right? Yes, they're very different, hugely different, because Samson's death came about because of his disobedience, and yet God used him. But Jesus' death, that came about because of his what? His obedience. 
Samson was disobedient and found himself in that situation. Jesus was completely obedient and found himself dying for, for the sins of the world out of obedience to his father. They were also different in that Sam, Samson's death, though sacrificial, it achieved some deliverance from the Philistines, not total. Jesus' death achieves victory, not just over Philistines, but over our sin and death and the devil. No longer do these enemies hold sway over our lives. So that's how they're different, and there's more ways I know too. But let's think for a moment how they're the same. Samson's death is a picture or a shadow of Jesus' death. So think about how they're the same. First, both Samson and Jesus were betrayed by someone they trusted. Who was Samson betrayed by again? Delilah. And who was Jesus betrayed by? Judas. And both were betrayed for money. Judas for 30 pieces of silver, Delilah for 1,100 pieces times however many leaders there were. Both were handed over to Gentile oppressors. Both were tortured and chained and put on public display to be mocked. Both Samson and Jesus were asked to perform, although Jesus refused, but Samson did perform. Both died with their arms outstretched. Jesus on the cross, Samson between the pillars. And both appeared completely struck down by their enemies, yet both in their death crushed their enemy. Samson crushed the Philistines and Dagon. Jesus crushed the ultimate enemy, Satan. Samson brought the temple crashing down around Dagon and his followers. Samson brought permanent alienation between the cultures so that Israel could become distinct and free from the Philistines. Well, Jesus brought about a greater victory. He brought the power of Satan to nothing, disarming him on the cross. How did the cross achieve this? Well, it took away the penalty for our sin and idolatry, which is death. So that when Satan tries to accuse you and I, you ever heard Satan's accusing voice where he says, you're no good. Who are you? Well, you can point to the cross and say, you know what? Jesus, he defeated you, Satan. He defeated all of my sins. He paid for them all so that I am clean, I am forgiven. Jesus' death also took away the power of sin in our lives, enabling the spirit to live in us and break the lure of idols in our hearts. So Samson prefigures Jesus' triumph at the cost of his own death. As Samson killed many as he died, Jesus also killed many as he died, sin and death and the devil. So in both deaths, we see that God is triumphing over death, even in defeat, even in weakness. But Samson's death, that ended his victory. Jesus' death continued through the resurrection.